0: We are in the middle of a sermon series called Twisted Scripture, and in this sermon series we are taking a look at some of the ways that Christians have misunderstood or worse, misused the Word of God. The book of Hebrews says that God's Word is living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword that penetrates the heart. And I think some Christians have taken that to mean, oh, it's a weapon I should go around poking people with, right? And so we've used Scripture to tell people when they are wrong. We've used Scripture to tell people when they are ignorant. We've used Scripture to tell people when they are going to hell. And in these ways, we've damaged and hurt people We've done damage, maybe irreparable damage in some people's lives to their connection with God and their connection with the Scripture. Last week we talked about the golden rule. We talked about how some people use the golden rule to force people to do and act in the way that they want them to act, which is the exact opposite of the golden rule, right? And we kind of looked at it, how do we do this and why do we do this? We do this because we have a familiarity of the Scriptures, and we know that the Scriptures are authoritative and important in many, many people's lives, and so if we can bend and twist this book that is so authoritative to get people to do what we want, we'll do that, and that's the problem. We said last week that the enemy of Scripture is a Christless familiarity with the words of Christ. Christ. The enemy of Scripture is a Christless familiarity with the words of Christ. What I mean is, the most dangerous thing we can do is take the words of God and use them in ways that God never intends them to be used. So, how do we use the word of God in a way that God intends? Well, that takes practice, that takes prayer. It takes community. It means when we open the scripture, we have to invite and open our hearts to the Holy Spirit. to Say, God, help me understand what you are saying through this today. We do it in community. We talk to one another. Hey, what do you think this scripture means? We do it in Bible study. And we grow, not so that we are careful and not make this book say what we want it to say, so we don't turn this book into a weapon of our own use but rather we open the words and say god what do you got for me today show me your truth it takes patience it takes practice otherwise we can use the scripture in evil ways however not all misuses of the bible are malicious right Not all uses of the Bible are malicious. Um, Sometimes we take words or phrases from the Bible and try to say something nice, try to help ease someone's pain, which is what we're dealing with today. I don't know if you've heard it, but sometimes when you're going through a struggling moment, when you're going through crisis, someone will say something to the effect of, God won't ever give you more than you can handle. Raise your hand if you've ever heard somebody say that to you, right? Ooh. Wow, I see a lot of hurt hands up there. Good job, man. Why do people say things like this? People say, they say things like this, like God's way, or uh, God's ways are mysterious. God works in mysterious ways. Raise your hand if you've ever heard somebody say that. That's not in the Bible, all right? <laughs> it does say that God's ways are higher than our ways, meaning God's grace is higher than your grace. God's love is higher than your love. God is better and higher than us. God works in mysterious ways. Um, Yeah, or God is doing this for a reason, right? Today I want to focus more on that God won't give you more than you can handle because I think sometimes we mean it as a way of encouraging people who are going through struggles, a way of encouraging people that are going through hard times to say to them, you are strong, you can do this. Yeah, if, a, if you couldn't do it, God wouldn't give this to you, right? You're going through this for a purpose, which sounds nice, but when you are going through something that you can't handle, it is very cold comfort to think that God is making you go through this, right? And as Christians, when we offer these small, cliche quips, we might not realize the kind of damage we're doing in people's lives. So we've got to be careful. But where does this phrase come from, God won't give you more than you can handle? It comes from a really bad interpretation of the scripture that we read earlier today. In the scripture that we read earlier, um, uh, the Bible says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that no temptation has seized you that is not common to all people, right? God won't tempt you or won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear the question is not about struggles or difficulties but it's about temptation and what you are being tempted by this scripture is not about going through hard times this scripture is actually about how eating meat leads to idol worshiping i don't know if you knew that but that's what this is about okay So, let me give you a little bit of backstory. Let's get closer to what we're talking about. So, uh, Paul, he starts the churches in all these different Gentile non-Jewish towns, right? All these non-Jewish people are coming to Jesus, and they're excited about it, right? And Paul is excited for them, And some other Jewish Christian leaders say, this is so good. We are so excited that these Gentile believers are coming into the fold, coming into the community. Awesome. Line up. It's time to get everybody circumcised. And all the men said, "Woo!" Jesus didn't say anything about that. Do we really have to do that? And a big fight broke out about how Jewish Gentiles have to be in order to accept Jesus. Paul fought furiously for the Gentiles, saying, hey, it is by grace that we are saved, and we are set free by the Spirit of Christ. They don't have to follow any of these laws. Those laws were specific for specific people in specific times. God is doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? The church says, Paul, you're right. Wow, God is doing a new thing. Let the Gentiles in. They don't have to prescribe to all of our laws. Let them in, let them in. One law, one law. No eating meat sacrificed to idols. All right, let's hold on to that law. We think that's a good law. No participating in pagan foreign festivals that worship other gods and then eat that meat. One law, one law. Paul and the rest of the Gentile Christians say, hey, sounds good to us fine. Woo, we're in. We we didn't have to get circumcised. I can stay away from some meat for a little while, right? (laughs) Well, the Roman officials of the time, they catch wind of this, and they go, oh, these Christians, they only have one hard and fast rule, that they can't eat meat sacrificed to idols? Cool, so here's what we're going to do. They go down to the marketplace, talk to all the vendors, and say, hey, let's take all the meat. Let's take all the meat and let's take it all down to the temple of Apollo. Let's go down there and let's, let's sacrifice all the meat to Apollo. Sacrifice doesn't mean burnt to a crisp. Sacrifice means dedicate, means to cook. You know, I, I cook this meat in the name of Artemis or whatever, right? And then you take it back to the marketplace. And all of a sudden in Corinth you have a crisis because all the meat that you can buy has been sacrificed to other gods. And the Corinthians are like, oh, man, I really miss bacon, right? (laughs) I really miss steak. So they write a letter to Paul. Paul, we know that there was one rule, but hey, come on. These other gods, they're not real gods. We know that they aren't real, so come on. Do we really have to abstain from eating meat? Paul says to them, be careful. Think about our ancestors. Think about the Israelites. When they wandered in the desert, they wandered. They were set free from slavery, set free from Egypt. And the moment they get on the other side of the Red Sea, they complain. Say, this is not what I signed up for, right? God, you let us out in the desert to die? There's nothing to eat out here. God says, I'll take care of you. Here, magic bread from heaven, right? All you got to do is wake up in the morning, gather it up, grind it together, cook it, and you're good to go. Manna, the bread from heaven. They go, Whoa, awesome. Thanks, God. Magic bread. Perfect. After a couple of months of magic bread, it gets a little stale. And so the Israelites complained again, oh, all we have is manna. <laughs> Back when we were slaves, we had it so good. We could eat next to the meat pots. Do you remember the meat pots? Mmm, we want some meat. So they complain against to God, again to God, and God says, I can't believe you're complaining about this, right? <laughs> but okay, okay. When you wake up tomorrow morning, uh, there will be ravens uh, on the ground. They'll be eating all the manna. Get up, kill, and eat. And so then they get to eat ravens and quail. And so they, God gives them meat. Oh, man, but this is just poultry, all right? <laughs> Do you remember the good days when we had some red meat? And continually they grumbled against God. And, and Paul makes mention of one story where they come to a town on their journeys in the desert. And in this town, they invite them in for festivals where there's going to be meat aplenty. And so the Israelites go into this town, and they enjoy the meat, but not just the meat. They enjoy the prostitution. They enjoy the sexual immorality. They enjoy and start to worship other gods, and the hope of God's people starts to get messed up a little bit, starts to get twisted a little bit. And for these reasons, many of them died, and, and Paul is saying to them, look, look, I know that you want to eat meat, but watch out. Watch out what it could lead to. Watch out. See what it did to our ancestors. Eventually, Paul will say to the Corinthians, he'll say, look, it's fine. Don't go to foreign festivals, all right? If somebody lays out some meat in front of you, don't ask where it came from. Just enjoy it and be a good guest, right? And if somebody is watching you, don't eat the meat that's been sacrificed to other idols. Be paying attention to other idols people. Don't let your wisdom puff you up so much that you are unaware of the dangers that are slipping in, even by your desires for meat. This is a temptation, but there is no temptation which has grabbed you that isn't common to all people, and God won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Later on, Paul will say, if eating meat at all hinders anyone from coming to God, I'll, I'll write off all meat. It doesn't matter to me. My number one goal is to help connect people to God and Christ, to give them that faith through Jesus. God isn't gonna tempt you in any way that you can't resist, and God is faithful, and God will always give you a way out. The scripture is really about temptation, And whatever temptations you feel, God is going to make a way out for you. This is the scripture that people take and say, oh, God's not going to give you anything harder than you can bear. God's not going to give you more than you can handle. It's a gross misinterpretation. It has nothing to do with what the scripture is saying. But it's it's a nice sentiment when we are trying to do and say nice things for people. We try, we try. Mostly because when people are going through suffering, when people are going through trying times, it is so incredibly uncomfortable. So incredibly uncomfortable. And imagine how selfish that is, that when a neighbor or a friend of yours is going through a difficult time and we feel uncomfortable and we got to say something to break the tension. We got to say something to make ourselves feel better, right? We don't like tension. We don't like being in the discomfort. And so we hold on to cliches and quips that try to break the tension that say, okay, I'm going to give my encouraging word and then, then I'm going to go. I'm going to go to my life. I'm going to go back to my home. I'm going to go and be okay, knowing that I visited, knowing that I said a nice word, knowing that um, things are okay now. Um, That's tough. That is tough. Jesus doesn't mind being in the tension, Jesus doesn't mind being present to those who suffer. Jesus doesn't swoop in into a scenario, give one quip and on his way. In fact, Jesus always goes and stays with the people. There's a story of a widow, a widow whose son had died in the town of Nain. And Jesus sees the widow and he begins to weep. And the scripture says that he was moved to compassion, which is a really terrible way of translating that, the Greek word there is splagnatise, which is my favorite Greek word because nobody can say it. What it means is that your intestines turn over upside down. To be moved to compassion, the word compassion, passion means suffering, co-suffer with. Jesus suffered with, he had compassion for this woman who had lost her son and he wept. And he went to her and said, there's something I can do here, right? He Spends time with her. Eventually, Jesus raises him back from the dead. When Jesus sees Zacharias, um, not Zacharias, Zacchaeus, up in the tree, a forgotten guy, somebody that nobody cares about, somebody that everybody probably hates, and he sees Zacchaeus up in the tree, he says, here's somebody that I need to spend some time with. And he says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. I'm gonna eat dinner with you. Jesus doesn't just come into his life and give him a word and he's on his way. He says, I'm gonna spend time with you. We don't, in fact, in that story, we don't hear anything that Jesus says to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus and Jesus go into Zacchaeus' house. Zacchaeus invites other friends. We never hear anything that Zacchaeus or that Jesus says, but we do hear what Zacchaeus says. As a result of Jesus spending time with him. Zacchaeus says, Jesus, if I've cheated anybody, I'm gonna pay them back four times whatever I cheated them out. Jesus's presence changed in that moment. Jesus' presence changed there. In fact, I would go on, I would go far enough to say that what we know about God is that God, in God's essence, the essence of Jesus Christ is His being there with us and for us. This is who God is. God is there with us. It's how the Book of Matthew starts out when the announcement that Mary is going to have a baby says, "You're going and His name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's how the Book of Matthew ends. The last word Jesus says is, "Take heart." For I will be with you until the very end. John Wesley, the founder of the United Methodist Church, his last words were the best of all. God is with us. It is the nature of God to be with us, present to us in everything we go through, whether it is joy, whether it is suffering. It is not to come in relieve the tension and leave but to be there through absolutely anything this is who god is revealed in jesus christ god with us and so church if that's the essence of god then the essence of the church you and me is to be there for others be there for others What that means is you don't have to say the right thing to relieve the tension. You don't have to say something that's going to ease the suffering. That's not your job. Your job is to simply be there with them, to be present to them, to share the space with them, and in doing so, share some of the suffering. Now, we long for answers. We cry out for answers, and and people look for answers. People come to me and ask for answers. You know, Pastor, why, why is this happening? What is God doing in this situation? Why am I going through this? Truth is, I have got the education. I know all the different traditions and everybody's different answers to these types of things. But it's not my job to relieve the tension by just giving a quippy answer. And in most cases, when someone tells me, Pastor, I'm suffering and I don't know why, Pastor, my answer, my prayer isn't getting answered and I don't know why, in most cases, the best thing I can say is you are in good company because we follow a God who suffers with us, a God who came to suffer. If you have a prayer that isn't answered, you are in good company because when Jesus said, God, I don't want to go through this, Can you take this cup away from me? Jesus didn't get that prayer answered. Paul tells us of a prayer that he doesn't get answered, a suffering that he's going through. He calls it a thorn in his side, and he's asked God three times to remove it, but God hasn't or can't or won't, and for some reason we don't know, but here's a prayer that isn't answered, and so Paul remains in the suffering. If you are suffering, if you are going through a difficult time, You are not alone. God is with you. It's who God is in God's nature. And as a Christian, as part of the church, I am with you also. I will suffer with you. I won't leave you. You can come to me. I won't give you a cliche answer. I won't say things are gonna be okay. I won't say that you're tough enough to endure this. I don't think that that's the case. I don't think that that's the case. So church, if God is the God who is for us and with us, then we are God's people. We are the body of Christ. We call our church Christ United Methodist Church. We named ourselves after him, right? And so don't feel the need, don't feel the need to relieve the the tension, to relieve the suffering with a word, but be present and be with them. Now, <clears throat> you can't do this to everybody, right? Not Jesus was really present and attentive to 12 people, right? If you think you're better than Jesus, then go for it, you know? go <laughs> Find your 20 people, find your 100 people. You can't be there for everybody. But that's okay, because God has sent somebody for everyone. And so the question is, God, who are you sending me to? Who are you calling me to be with and to be for, to suffer with and to suffer for? That's what we're called to do. That's the way that we're called to respond. I got a couple of next steps here, a couple of final things. So what do we do with this message? I encourage you to rather than ease suffering with words, I encourage you to share suffering with your presence. Just be there. Listen to folks. Care for them. Be kind. Don't give answers, even if you know answers. Just be there. Be kind. And finally, and secondly, be aware of how Christ is present in every situation. Be aware of how Christ is present in you. I mean it when I say God and God's very nature, Jesus Christ and Jesus' very nature, is with us. And therefore, you cannot interact with God without interacting with the people that God interacts with. God is in God's nature here and now with you, with creation. It's what we mean when we say God is love, right? If God is love, then God is always participating in relationship with God's lover, us, right? God is always present in each face, in each person. So be watching for where God is active, where God is moving, where God is living. God is in one another. Church, it is a temptation. It is a temptation to give a quick and easy answer to the struggles of life. That's not who God is. God is present to us in everything. And there is no temptation that has seized us that is not common. But God will give us a way out and won't allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear. Trust in God. Find the strength to be present to your friends and your family who are suffering.